wish that I had anything to do with the creative (laughs) making and execution of Twilight. And unfortunately, I don't because I was in high school when that happened. Same. (laughs) But I Uh, (laughs) continuously joke that I have seen Twilight probably more than anyone at the company aside from... joined by Julie Waters. Uh, Julie Waters is a producer right now on Dave and one of my favorite shows, Love, Victor. Um, You also work for Temple Hill uh, Productions, which has produced some of the favorites, like, you know, just little thing like Twilight, Maze Runner, Dear John, like, you know, whatever. There's those little baby things. Um, So please, Julie, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, Hello. Thank (laughs) you so much for having me here today. Um, yes, I'm, I'm Julie. I, uh, am a scripted TV producer and development executive, uh, for a company called Temple Hill Entertainment. And, um, I'm very excited to be here. And Natalia and I met through an amazing, uh, writer and director I'm working with, Jennifer Caton Robinson. Oh, love um, her. Who's the best. Yes. <laughs> and, um, that's, me. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> well, I I want to start with like, what exactly does a producer do? So, you know, people who listen to this know that like I work in news, so I know what a news producer does. Um, so what do you do on like the film and TV side? Yeah, well, I think in film and television, there are so many different kinds of producers. When you see the credits roll on a TV show and it lists all the producers. Those could be people on the writing staff. Those could be people who work on set, like a line producer. And then it can be, you know, people like myself who are on more of the kind of development and production executive side Um, so the company I work for was founded by two men, Marty Bowen and Wick Godfrey, who started out as film producers, you know, where they really, they'll develop material, um, into films and television. And that process of, of working in a company like Temple Hill involves really producing through the, the impetus of an idea, you know, when you kind of have nothing and you're hopefully turning it into something (laughs) that's going to get made all the way through production, you know, sometimes post, depending on who you're working with. Um, So it can be a lot of, it can mean a lot of different things to be a producer. Um, For, uh, for Dave, I, you know, I was definitely there. I was at Temple Hill from, from the beginning, from the early days, and you know when we developed the pilot script and and shot the pilot, and then as that show has continued on, it has you know there are a lot of non-writing EPs on that show. Temple Hill being one of them, along with Scooter Braun and Kevin Hart. Um, so my role on Dave is to assist those primarily like showrunners, Dave, the directors, however they need me. So in season one, you know, I would go to set sometimes. I staff the show. I help find and book all of our episodic directors. You know, you, you never know sometimes what's going to come up with a with an active show. And then for development as a producer, I mean, it's finding material or meeting writers or directors hearing pitches and developing that, hopefully selling it and, and, you know, praying that it gets made, um, <laughs> which is always an uphill battle. It's, it's awesome as a TV producer to be really, really close to the creative, right? You know, the, 
between us, there's usually a studio and then a network. And Mm -hmm. I love that I get to work so hands-on and so close to our writers and directors versus the network execs who, you know, are definitely a bit more removed from that process. But at the same time, it can be a lot of disappointment because I'm in, you know, I'm a seller, not a buyer. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a buyer's market. So, you know, not, not everything gets made, not everything sells. And that can also be a bit disappointing, but when your stuff does get made, it's just very incredible. Now, have you ever gotten to like write anything for television or are you just like meeting with the creatives and then like packaging it well so it can get sold? Um, I, I don't write. I'm not a writer. I definitely know a lot of producers and executives who want to be writers or were writers or become writers. Um, for me, you know, I, I love to work with writers. We definitely do a lot of editing. We help them break story, but I don't personally write any mm-hmm. scripts. I'll put together materials like sales materials. I'll put together decks or one sheets, you know, things that we need to have, whether it's visual or in writing to help sell something, whether that's because we need to find a writer or we want to amplify what we have written to help sell it to a buyer. Um, but I don't personally write any scripts. Now, how did you get into this field? Well, I, when I was in college, I had this moment where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Like <laughs> I feel like many people have. And um, I just felt like, what's something I could do that I really love and I could work in that every day. And I didn't know what that would mean. You know, I, I studied communications, but it could have been PR or marketing, you know, at the time I did not know what a development executive was, but what I did know is that I loved television. Mm -hmm. I loved it more than anything in this world. (laughs) And so I just wanted to work in TV. It was, how can I work in TV? And so I started reading a lot. I became this huge nerd. I would read, like, Deadline and The Hollywood Reporter. (laughs) Um, I read, uh, Suzanne Daniels wrote this book that is about the, it's literally, I mean, I'm probably, like, one of 100 people who read this book. It's It's, like, about the formation of... Uh, the WB and then how the WB and UPN merged to form the CW. Mm -hmm. And it's just a TV nerd's dream. It's, uh, and, and it was just immersing myself in that, that I started to learn a bit more about what it meant. You know, I didn't really know, I think what it meant to be at a studio versus a network, but the term development executive was a, was a word that I learned and I decided my junior year of college that I was going to be a development executive. Like that, that was it. And I truly did not really know what it meant. I did not (laughs) know what the day to day would be. I just had this vision in my mind that I could get to be creative and work near creative people and make TV. And I really, I'm, I'm a big nerd. Um, the, the program I went to in college was not very, uh, practical it was a lot more sort of theoretical based Mm -hmm. so we studied they they didn't have a tv program no one really does but um it was sort of I studied communications I took a bunch of cinema studies classes and I became really interested in how tv affects us as a culture and I think we talk all the time about how the news which I'm sure you're very familiar with affects us as a culture (laughs) But I think TV, even more than film, you know, you're you're letting these people into your home, modern family, right? That's what ten years in which you're watching this family, you're letting them into your home. They become like family to you for a lot of people, which is why shows like that have a huge effect on us culturally. And Modern Family is a show that directly correlates to this country voting in favor of gay marriage. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's a ton of research on it, a ton of studies. And that was the kind of stuff that I loved and was super fascinated by in college. And I knew that I really wanted to be a part of making content like that. 
which is why working on Love, Victor is so amazing for me because I know, and it's, I love it. And, and when we, you know, I was at Temple Hill when Love, Simon came out, mm-hmm. it was so incredible to see the amount of of impact that that film had on for gay people and especially young gay people. And, you know, there just wasn't a lot of stuff like that when I was growing up. And so when we were talking about, you know, what are movies that Temple Hill has made that we could potentially spin off into TV shows immediately? It was just like, we have to do something. Love Simon in television. We just do. And, you know, luckily I think a lot of people agreed. (laughs) I, uh, the way in which, like, I love Love, Simon and Love, Victor is a little concerning because it's just such a, it's just sweet and, like, wholesome. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's, there's nothing, I'm trying to figure, like, I don't, I miss the days of, like, non-super flashy, if yeah. that makes sense. Like, I, yes. the Riverdale is not, you know, love the actors on it. Not always for me. Like I love. I'm rewatching Dawson's Creek right now. I haven't oh! seen it. I, ha- I haven't seen it probably in like a decade. Yeah. I mean, I, it's so good. It's, it's so, so bad. Good. It's so good. I love it so much. But it, and obviously, there you know that show is knows what it is, and it's the way they talk is ridiculous. But it is so wholesome, it's and so wholesome. there's not major plot going you know what I mean like a whole season of it is is one thing that would have been like a third of a season of the OC yes we you know it's we've gotten so wrapped up in having a ton of plot I mean especially considering the fact that that show had like 22 or 23 episodes every season it's yes mind-blowing and it holds but that show like has a hold on people do you know what I mean? Like, I miss yeah. that. I'm, of course, rewatching The Nanny on HBO because it just can't. Oh, my God. Fran Jesser. Like, we just don't give her enough credit. But I'm just like, that show was on for so long. And it's just about a woman who's like a nanny. But it just has, like, so many iconic moments. Every single outfit, she looked incredible. And I love, I love shows like that. And like, my mom calls me an 85 year old woman because I go back to the same five shows quite often. Like I watch Murder, She Wrote on a regular basis. I love Murder, She Wrote. It's so good. Like, (laughs) and so for me, it's like the, the thing about Love, Victor is like, it is just also so wholesome and you get so attached to the characters and not necessarily like what's the plot going on around it, but the plot really is the characters. And I kind of miss that because I feel like I can go back and rewatch Love, Victor all the time, if that makes sense. And, like, I miss that part of TV sometimes that you can kind of just, like, go back to. And I feel the same way about, like, parenthood. You can always just kind of, like, go back because it's just meant to make you feel emotional. It's just about a family. I mean, that's what... I mean, I think that's when Friday Night Lights as well also a Jason Cato show took its turn as people always complain about when they murder Tara. Um, right. There's that like attempted rape murder situation. And, <laughs> but prior to that, that show was like parent, right there about Jason Cato's shows. Mm-hmm. It was, there wasn't crazy plot twists and big broad things happening. And you were just in Dillon, Texas with these kids in high school and, you know, coach and Henry Taylor. And it was so iconic um, but I will forever blame the 2008 writer strike for <laughs> But, like, once again, that's another show that, like, has a hold on people mm-hmm. like no other. I make television I, – I make a lot of different kinds of TV, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dave and the Victor are super different. Um, in 2020, Temple Hill also had the show The Outsider premiere on HBO. Mm. And, you know, so that just kind of shows – the sort of vast genre space that we're exploring. I make a ton of different stuff, but my heart will always be in YA television because I grew up on the WB. I used to tell people when I first moved to LA, my dream job was to be an executive at the WB in 1997, like peak Buffy, all those, but those are the shows. That's why I work in TV. Beverly Hills, 902 and 0. Buffy, Dawson's Creek, I mean, 
Dawson's Creek was one of the first shows to have a gay kiss air on primetime television. Yo. Yo. Right? I may just have to go back and be Like, I haven't watched that in ages, but it feels like time. The one- there's, there's a lot of YA television TV about young people, I think, is some of the most iconic TV, and it sticks with us because everybody has been in high school. Like, even, I mean, most YA shows, people don't realize, but if you look at who's watching them, it's like women and men over 40 are sometimes some of the biggest audiences for those shows. Because it just, we all relate, and every there's always stakes because everything feels like life and death in high school. I mean, I just, my dream is to have like a, like a new YA empire in the way that the WB did it, because I feel like all of the networks that used to do that have sort of betrayed it. (laughs) I mean, like I love some of the stuff on Freeform, but Freeform doesn't do it anymore. CW doesn't really do it anymore. You know, there's, there isn't a true hub, but I guess it's, it's not bad. It's good that there's all these streamers and everyone is doing everything, but I feel you, though, because, like, I mean, what made me love TV was Gilmore Girls. Oh. Like, the I can quote almost every, like, episode. Um, I own all seven se- seasons on DVD, plus the Gilmore, Ge- Gilmore Girl-isms book. Like, it's my, I've read the pilot script more times than I care to admit. Like, it's... Did you, um... Did you listen to, I did a rewatch when I listened to the Gilmore Guys podcast. Oh, I listened to the Gilmore Guys podcast on, also on a regular basis. Uh, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I, it inspired me to do a rewatch and I would watch it with them. And I loved it because it's one of those things. Gilmore Girls is one of those shows that every time I watch it, I see something new yes. in it. Just little things that you did not realize, I mean, Amy Sherman Paladino and Dan Paladino are geniuses. And just the detail, it's not just the dialogue, it's everything. I mean, I I understand. It's it's just like the intricacy, the writing, it's like where I picked up my love of like references. It just like, it so formed everything. Like I wanted to go to Yale and study journalism for a good chunk of my younger life. Because uh, <laughs> because of Rory, like that was like what I loved and what I wanted to be. It's just every everything about that show, and you can also tell kind of what mood I'm in based on like what season I start to rewatch in. Because just like if I'm watching season three, I want to pick me up because it's a Jess season, and I'm forever Teen Jess. I always hated Dean. I know they say that they changed him in season two, but they I. Did. But I hated him from season one. I thought he was creepy from Jump. And I purposely... I didn't hate him in season one, but I never was, like... I never swooned never. in any way. Never. I fluctuate between, okay, hot take, Jess is the best, but sometimes I fluctuate and I feel a little bit more like Team Logan. And here's why. <laughs> Not because I like Logan more than Jess. Objectively, I like Jess better than Logan. <laughs> but Logan and Rory were the only actual functional long-term relationship she yes. ever had yes. on that show. Like if you, in rewatching it, when you go back over and over again, she and Jess are barely together. And even once he finally gets her, he immediately turns into an asshole because that's what that show yes. did. had to make the guys horrible once they had them so they could immediately find someone new. But Logan, I don't know. He, I feel like, became better for her I just I it's like I like Jess better but I think that the person she's meant to be with is Logan and I know that that's a very hot controversial take (laughs) (laughs) I just I don't think she should be with any of them I'm team Rory you know what I mean but just Dean just never did it for me I always thought it was super weird you know, how he was like, I was watching you. Like, and that was his interest. Like, come on now. Like, we, like, anyway, I. (laughs) Who do you think is the father of her baby? Yo, I mean it. I'm either, it's Logan or it's like that weird Yeti or like a a Wookiee. She had like the one night stand. (laughs) These are the deep cuts, guys. No, we'll Um, never know. uh, But like, yeah, I. I was never a team Dean. 
just I know they changed him in season two, but I was just never a team Dean because he just wasn't. He was never doing it for me. I like hated it so much. That was the time when I couldn't um extrapolate between like character and actor, and so like I never watched Supernatural because Jared Padalecki was in it. Like mm. that's how deep. <laughs> you know who I actually always liked and wished. I mean, happy until the end that Chad Michael Murray became Lucas Scott because One Tree Hill is another show that I'll you know forever love. Uh, so much, but I did weirdly also like his character on Gilmore Girls. Yeah, what was his I, name? Christian. Tristan. Tristan. Yes. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm in a rewatch right now, as I usually am, and I was I was really thinking about that. I was like, I really wish he was able to, but we know that's like when One Tree was One Tree Hill was coming, so like mm-hmm. obviously he had to move on. But I do, I did really like him. I, I wanted to see where that character was going to go because I think it would have been interesting if we brought Jess in with Tristan also being in the background. Yes. This I is kind my of, I like really wish Tristan made a cameo in the... In the, in the revi- <laughs> I thought he was going to because Paris, like, when she was in the back... Okay, we're getting so... <laughs> if I could really dilute it, I would say I'm team Paris. So... <laughs> Every time I rewatch it, I love Paris more and more. I was like... I love you. <laughs> um, we're so up, but it's fine. Um, because I will talk about Gilmore Girls to the day I die. Uh, but yes. Anyway, now that we've talked about all the shows that we, that we love in our <laughs> I could do a whole separate podcast just talking about teen television. Oh, I that's my next podcast idea. Teen Great. television girl. I'll be your first guest. <laughs> um, because I can uh, the way in which I would dive so deep into that topic. Anywho, how did you, you know, we all know, like, breaking into media of any kind is so tricky and so difficult. How did you do it? When I was an undergrad, I got an internship at Lifetime in development in the original movies department the summer between my junior and senior year. And this was, I didn't know anyone in L.A., so I fully just applied to every internship I could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm online and somehow this is the one that I ended up with and it was great I spent a summer watching Lifetime movies I loved it but I (laughs) while out in LA that summer I met with an agent who was a Penn alumni and he gave me this advice though I mean he just said you have to work at an agency and you have to move out here without a job after you graduate college come in June and I was just like okay So two weeks after I graduated college, I moved to LA on June 1st, 2013, and I did not have a job, but I had learned about the UTA job list, which is an online list that posts a lot of jobs, and I had applied to a bunch of stuff a couple weeks before moving out, and I'd used um, a friend of mine from college who was from LA. I used her parents' home address on my resume. So it looked like I was in LA because you can't get anything out here without living out here. Mm. And so I got a, not a ton, but some interviews through that. And I just set them up all for the first week. And it, it it's funny, it was weird timing because I ended up realizing that most of the college graduates really don't come out until like September, maybe late August. Mm-hmm. Most of those people took the summer, which is, Maybe why I got some of the uh, interviews that I did, mm-hmm. um, but it also when I started at UTA, I was there were only maybe two of us in my mailroom class that had just graduated from college. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was older, um, and then in the September mailroom class, it was like everyone was twenty two, and I was just like, oh, thank, thank God. <laughs> um, but we. Um, yeah, I interviewed for a bunch of jobs that week, and I just, it was just, I think just luck and timing, honestly, so much out here. A lot of it is definitely relationships and networking, but a lot of it is also just luck and timing. The right conversation with the right person at the right time. Mm-hmm. I know people who've landed incredible jobs that way, that weren't even looking for jobs, just having lunch with the right person the right week. So, That's, yeah. But I, I um, got a job at UTA in the mailroom class, and that is 
where I started. And every job I've had since has been through word of mouth. Mm. See, I think that's always like the hard thing. Because for for me, when I was in grad school, my my career counselor and I were very close. um, And she kind of yelled at me for about a year to start reaching out to people because I would feel so uncomfortable reaching out to people on LinkedIn and being like, hey, can you talk to me about your your company or like this job posting that I saw and like building those relationships because I'm a person that like, if I'm going to build a relate, I like want to build a relationship with you. So I'm like, how's your kids? Like, you know, like, how are you doing? And, um... And so for me, it was really, really hard to kind of put myself out there like that and to to build relationships for jobs and stuff because I got really nervous and really shy about it. I was like, they don't want to talk to me. Who am I? But this random girl messaging them on LinkedIn to say hi. I don't, I don't use LinkedIn a ton. I would mainly, I mean, if it's a job posting on LinkedIn, you should totally reach out, especially to whoever the LinkedIn HR people are, I feel like people use LinkedIn a lot more now than they did when I was first looking, but I have learned, I mean, pretty quickly that most jobs in terms of what I do, not really on the business side, but in the creative side, most people don't get those jobs through company websites. It's usually through someone who you know telling you about the job passing along your resume I I know a lot of people who have once they know they have the job then they tell them to apply online (laughs) just so they can do the formal HR process I mean half the time those jobs that like assistant jobs to people in creative are already filled by the time you see it online they they put it up just because they, they need have to. the process to go through. So oh, it yeah. can be really hard. It really, it really can. And it's a lot of companies don't really want to hire assistants if those assistants haven't worked at an agency or a management company. I mean, 100% my biggest piece of advice is to work at an agency or a management company if you want to be in development, you know, work at a studio network production company, whatever. Do you... Um, do you remember the first like project you worked on and you were like, I'm a person now? Um, first project I worked on. <laughs> when there definitely have been different times and, and different moments. Um, I remember when I was at Fox 21, I was an assistant to the head of current, this amazing woman, Tara Flynn, who's at Netflix okay. now. And she had been sent to South Africa to work on a pilot and was supposed to go for like 10 days and ended up there for months. It was crazy. You know, as you do. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> but we were booking episodic directors on a show and Tara had a, just a very specific way of doing it. Um, and the studio had just merged with another studio. So Tara had worked for, you know, the, the president of Fox 21 was the president of this merged. It was called Fox 21 television studios, which then turned into touchstone and now has merged with 20th. And now they're all touchstone. (laughs) Um, but, uh, at the time, the other executives on the show, basically said to Tara, how do you want to go about this? You know, we don't know your process and Bert's process since it was a recently merged company. And she was like, just have Julie do it. And it was amazing because I was an (laughs) assistant and we didn't, you know, the assistants at the studio was very hierarchical. And so it was the first sort of moment where I was really doing the job Mm -hmm. or even kind of the job of like a coordinator for the department. Yeah. And there was a call with the showrunners and we, the two executives on the project were in the, this one person's office and they had a call with the showrunners to talk about the directors. And I will never forget the one executive popped her head out and was like, Julie, what are you doing? Come in. And I was just like, ah! oh, me? Oh, <laughs> 
And it was great. It was amazing. Her assistant gave me the dirtiest look when I went in there. (laughs) Y'all can't see my face, but I was like, oop. (laughs) It was so funny. It was great. But that, I mean, that was one moment that I'll always remember. It's so small. That's the thing. It's the tiniest, tiniest things. But when you're finally given the responsibility, when you're finally doing the job, because there's no training to do this job. I mean, it's really just you're an assistant and you listen to everything your boss does and everything they say and you just kind of absorb and then they're like, go do it. You do it. <laughs> I I feel that because the first, so I've been with NBC for like two years now and change. And I remember um, the second women's March that happened in like November or late October, right before the election. And I was in DC and my boss was like, Hey, can you field produce for this? And I was like, oh my gosh. I was yes. like, okay, I can do it. I bought like three giant waters, snacks. Can't, I was like, I want to make sure I have everything. I bought a mini first aid kit. I was like, we're going to be in the fields. We're going to be, cause like, I just didn't, I just like took that responsibility so seriously. I mean, as you should, cause it's my job, but I was just like, I want to be, I made all the group chats. Like I was like so prepared because I did not want to fail because when I was asked, like it was, I was like me, just a little me. Um, and the, it was really great because at the end, the crew and our security were like, um, I'm sorry, this is your first time producing? I was like, yeah. They're like, and the correspondent I was working with, she's like, this isn't your first time. And I was like, it is my first time. She goes, that's oh. not true. Um, and so like things like that, like when you know that you're doing a good job, I was like, I could, I could do this. <laughs> that's always the best. Someone telling you, someone who you respect or look up to, or, you know, when we're working with writers and we're giving notes or whatever, and a writer is like, that's a really good note. Like, just something so small as that, because no one can teach you how to write notes. No one can teach you Mm -hmm. how to field produce, right? I mean, half of it is instinct and, and just kind of doing it and hoping that you do it right and that you get better yeah as you go and it was fun it's all like a learn yeah because you really I just had learned from all the producers that I had worked with before and all the correspondents that I know and talk to and what they don't like about their producers and you know what they don't like about their crews that they say in hushed tones <laughs> and so like and then picking up from there so I totally can relate to the experience of like being called in and being like oh they thought I was doing something well um what was something though on the flip side of that where you like made a huge mistake in your career and you were like oh no this is it they're gonna blacklist me I can never work in Hollywood again God, I have to, a huge mistake. <laughs> that you won't get fired for now. The amount of time that I have to like think about <laughs> when I make a huge mistake. I feel like, I feel like there's never been necessarily one. I mean, when you're an assistant, it's like I scheduled something wrong or I forgot to confirm a meeting and now a client of my boss is at this executive's door and they don't have a meeting and you know (laughs) that's my fault I mean that's all the sort of scheduling kind of assistant stuff and it all feels very high stakes um and in my time you know working as a development executive (laughs) (laughs) it's totally fine you don't have to know (laughs) I probably said a lot of dumb shit because I certainly am always I'm a very opinionated person and I do not have, it's not like I don't have a filter. I have a filter, but I have a lot of opinions and I usually (laughs) express them. So I'm certain that I've, I've at least put my foot in my mouth on probably more than one occasion. Mm -hmm. Usually my biggest mistakes are probably saying things that I shouldn't say. (laughs) I also fall victim to that as well, so I understand. 
Um, <laughs> but now I'm going to keep thinking about it throughout the course of this interview. And if I can think of something really good, I mean, the thing is, is that it's not, I'm not doing a lot of what I work on. A lot of my day to day isn't tangible, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of development is you're hoping to sell stuff or you're developing something. So it doesn't, it's always hard to describe to my friends and my, you know, my dad and people who don't do this, that. 80% of what I'm working on literally does not exist. <laughs> like it exists. I have, you know, we're developing it. We are probably writing scripts or in some part of the process, but I easily spend weeks on end stressed out about something that could truly just go, go away. away. Mm-hmm. And that is, so, you know, it's easy to make, it's easy to make mistakes when you're in that part of the process. It's just, it's, there aren't these life or death consequences. Mm. I mean, there's certainly not life or death. It's not like there can be, <laughs> I, I guess, but, but it's different than, you know, if I was working on set or in the kind of process of something very, that it exists very tangibly and physically. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're field producing, right, you're making something that at that time you're literally making it and then you're going to edit it and then it's going to exist on television. No, but what you're saying like makes, I, I very much understand what you're saying. Cause it is like that a lot on the TV side. Like you're prepping, you may make mistakes while you're prepping, but then it may not really matter in like five minutes. Cause like breaking news happens and you have to change everything at a moment's notice. So I get yeah. it. I totally get it. <laughs> Um, so you have been with Temple Hill and so how did you, how did you get that? Because was it, was it like you came in as an assistant to someone in Temple Hill and then you were like moved up or did you come in as an executive? I came in as an assistant and I was sort of like an assistant coordinator. I'd had a lot of experience when I was leaving Fox 21 and it was hard to find a job because. I knew I wanted to leave the studio and that I, I didn't want to be an executive there. And there's also a very hierarchical system to getting promoted at studios. Mm -hmm. I mean, not every studio, but at that company, you had to work for the president of the studio and someone who had started around the same time as me was working for him. And I didn't really want that job. And but if I had to wait until that person got promoted to then go work for the president of the studio to then get promoted, it's, you know, it's a, can be a really a journey. long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to leave. I knew I wanted to work at a production company, but I also was having a hard time finding a job because a lot of people, I did you know, I'd been very, very lucky that Tara, my boss was an incredible teacher and gave me a lot more responsibility than being just an assistant. And so I would interview for jobs and I just, it was like I had too much experience to be certain people's assistant, but not enough experience to be a manager. And this, this coordinator title that's kind of between the two is oftentimes not off desk. And if it is off desk, it's usually because they promoted someone internally to take that role. So it's a really hard, it it doesn't often exist basically. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of, I was kind of in this weird place in between and Temple Hill, I knew was going to be a great opportunity because my, my old boss, Albert, who is now an executive at 20th was the only person working in TV at the time. Mm-hmm. And they had the show Rosewood on the air. It was in its first season, the show with Morris Chesson on Fox. Mm-hmm. And he needed a junior executive, but only had, I guess the money and the budget to bring on an assistant. So it was, from the minute I got there, I was doing that coordinator. You know, I spent mm. two years assisting Albert while being sort of a coordinator creative executive. And I was in his meetings and making all his lists. I, I did a ton. I was I was doing the job I wanted to be doing, but I also was still his assistant for mm-hmm. about two years. So that process you know, it can take a really long time. I mean, I was an assistant for about five years total, Mm -hmm. but, but I am lucky that the last two years 
of that, I did get to do a lot more. I was joining meetings and meeting writers and helping bring in projects and, and ideas. Um, I set up my first project while I was still on Albert's desk. It was a book that we set up at the studio and then packaged mm-hmm. and sold to Fox. Um, and then we, we developed at Fox's network development. So mm-hmm. that was all incredible. It was great experience. You know, I, I work at a company that I really respect the way Marty and Wick run it in the way that you, if you want the job, if you want to be an executive, they just want you to do the job. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of their MO. And and they've said before, and Marty said to me once when I was Albert's assistant, like, call yourself whatever you need to call yourself to get it done. Because if you're trying mm-hmm. to do it, no one's going to, no one's going to stop you. Mm-hmm. Why would we? We're, you know, we're producers. We're trying to generate content. So if I can generate something but I need to tell someone I'm a creative executive, even though I'm still Albert's assistant. I would just say it because then it could happen. And it, and it was, he was right. And I definitely don't, you know, there are certain, there are a lot of companies that don't encourage that, but yeah. I am, feel really lucky that I worked at one that, that really did. Yeah. That's important. Cause I think having mentors or managers or bosses that encourage you to kind of just like, go out there and strike on your own is really important and you gaining skills to do the job that you want to do one day. Cause say like being like, yep, I'm creative executive and like no one questioning you and like everybody on the being like, yep, she totally is like, even though knowing full well you're a coordinator, but to back you up like that, I think has an impact on like how you do your job and like allows you to thrive to the point at obviously you're at now like that. Cause I think that, I think that's cool. But I'm also at a production company. It's harder when you're at, you know, studios and networks, mm-hmm. big, big corporate companies. It's really hard to do stuff like that because they have, there's a lot of hierarchies and systems. So I love working in a production company. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I, you know, it would probably be really good experience for me to work at a network or a studio at some point again. But uh, for now, you know, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> do you have something that's like been super rewarding for you working um, in your career so far? Like what's been maybe the most rewarding project that you've worked on? I think uh, it's hard to say because I've worked on so much that I really, really love. I mean, Dave has been really rewarding mm-hmm. because the first thing I've ever worked on that people not in television care sort of really care about like my dad and my friends from college and high school. I mean, it's so silly, but obviously we all want to, I think, you know, please our parents a bit. And (laughs) I definitely took this risk. I mean, my dad truly has no idea what I do still probably. And, but for a long time, it was just not, there wasn't, I mean, we talked, I feel like I've said this a lot, but the, nothing was tangible. Yeah. And Dave is the first thing that I, it's the first producer credit I've ever gotten. And, you know, my name is in the credits and it's a show that my dad and brother and, you know, adult people are enjoying. So <laughs> my dad will brag about it. And it's so cute because it's the first thing, you know, he, my dad doesn't really watch Love Victor, unfortunately. Everyone um, should though. It's so. I have, trust me. This is. I've. I've tried. <laughs> uh, but it's he's. It's not his thing. He says. Um, but um, we. Yeah. It's cute, right? Like you want. You know. You want your parents to do that and love Victor. I love Victor is probably in terms of things that exist. I mean, for me, emotionally rewarding because I just I see the messages and even just talking to the people on our show. I mean, I know with Michael Cimino, even River Gallo, who was in episode eight in season one, mm-hmm. River was telling me about all of the messages that they were getting on Instagram, just having been in one episode of that show. I mean, kids coming out to them on Instagram, it's telling them that they can't talk to anyone else about this. I mean, that is for me, like it, honestly gives me chills just saying it because I know how influential that is. We're, we're working with 
Marlene King. And the very first time I met her um, a few years ago, I said to her, I was just like, Marlene King created Pretty Little Liars. And I, Another I fave. said to her, I was just like, it, it is so exciting for me to meet you because Emily was truly one of the first femme queer women I ever saw on TV. Before Emily Fields on Pretty Little Liars, lesbians were Ellen. Like, I I was too young. I hadn't seen the L word yet because I was too young for it when it first came out. And it just, there wasn't enough representation. Queer women, we still, it's still something that I'm working on. My, one of my, aside from making teen, my teen TV empire, I really want to help make a show sort of like a modern family or a will and grace, but with more, with at least one sort of major queer female character, because I think that modern family and will and grace have done so much for the gay community. Um, but they have also provided much more representation for gay men. And it's definitely for me really, really important that we're amplifying queer women on screen in television. Um, and it just working, you know, meeting her, that to me was, it was everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just want to help make that for some like little teenage Julie Waters out there who has no idea what's going on, you know, and just needs to, to feel seen. And I think Love Victor really does that and will continue to do it. I'm, I'm really excited for the first season to come out. Hulu have been incredible partners in, in season two and the show is definitely going to push the boundaries, I think, further than we were able to do in season one in mm-hmm. a really exciting way. It's still so wholesome and amazing and sweet and funny and emotional. And I'm always crying when I'm watching the first cut of episodes that I've read the script of like seven times because <laughs> it's so good. But I, I think that that show has been and will continue to be groundbreaking for not just young queer people, I think for all queer people, but it just, it means a lot to me that I get to be even one small part of, of making that. And I, what I love about Love, Victor is it normalizes things. Well, for the most part, you know, like his parents are that, guys, if you haven't seen it, where have you been? It's been a year. But it's like the, <laughs> I'm very passionate about everyone's once seen this. Um, but the end, the cliffhanger, yes. But, like, it just, it, it bottles it up in, like, just young teen romance that we can all just get behind and just want to love. And that, I wanted, I did want to also ask you about queer.org. Did I say that correctly? Uh, queer, yeah. It's a, um, it's a, mainly a networking group for queer women in entertainment. Um, it's. Q W E E R, uh, which is so cheesy, but I couldn't think of a title. And someone was like, <laughs> you should call it queer with a W and it's queer women and entertainment everywhere rise. And I was just like, well, that's ridiculous, but I don't have any of that. <laughs> it's a little wordy, but we'll do it. <laughs> I was like, let's just do it. We can change it later if we think of something better. And then we never did. Um, but it's, uh, the pandemic has honestly, um, made, I haven't been great at, doing I don't know I feel like zoom networking is just kind of it's hard it's hard yes no it's super hard for large groups you know but um it's been amazing just having that in in our last event there were so many people there and there were all different kinds of queer women and at all different levels right like there were some there were actors there there were directors and writers and people who work on set I mean it just for me the the whole thing started because gay men and I don't mean everywhere and all gay men I'm not trying to generalize in a way but particularly in LA and in the West Hollywood scene there's just a bit more of a community I think that there's always been a community. I know people who've gotten great jobs just like partying at David Gennelari's house or something, you know? Uh, And 
I don't think queer women have ever had as much of a community Mm -hmm. with each other and sort of more and more it's happening and people trying to help each other and raise each other up. But um, I just felt like this doesn't exist. So why don't we just try a little bit? And it's been great. I know a ton of people who made friends through it or found, you know, potential jobs through it. So I'm hoping, you know, or I'm planning ideally when the pandemic ends. I don't, (laughs) I don't know. I've just set myself. This will be my life from now on. That's what I'm just assuming. (laughs) No, we'll be, I, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that by the fall we'll be, you know, who knows, but anyway, (laughs) assuming ideally fingers crossed we are someday back in the world maybe even not in masks I definitely want to start having more (laughs) so what's next for Julie Waters um that's a great question I I don't know who's to say (laughs) I have a lot of great development projects that I'm really excited about and I'm hoping fingers crossed that more shows get made mm-hmm. you know, or picked up to writer's room or, or series this year. Um, you know, that's always the goal. That's always the, the biggest goal. And I, you know, I just want to keep producing and keep, making tv that's ideally what's next and just (laughs) continuing to do it on a bigger and better scale do you think there's like a mistake that young folks or just like young by meaning like newer people entering into the industry make that you see time and time again whether it's from the writing acting development side that you're like hey folks don't do it No, I don't think there's any mistake, but I think that it's easy to get discouraged. And you, I mean, it's true of any part of of this world, I mean, especially for actors, which is just a whole nother universe that I don't even know enough about, but you have to really want it. I mean, I it's crazy that I was an assistant for five years and that's almost like I was lucky. I certainly have friends that were assistants for less time, but I also know people who were for longer and it's been slower. And if you listen, if you don't really want it and if you have other skills or feel like you would like doing something else as much as you would like doing this, you'll probably get paid more and you'll probably doing it, be doing it faster So, you know, maybe go do that. But if you really want this and you want to stick it out, it is so worth it. Because being an assistant is the worst. No one likes it. But I am literally living that dream that I had for myself in college. I'm making content that I love. I work with amazing people. I mean, even when shit sucks, at the end of the day, I am very, very lucky. And I know how lucky I am that I can genuinely say I love what I do. And I think if you really want to do it, you just have to go for it. Cause otherwise, you know, you're never going to do it. I mean, that's when I was in college, all I wanted to do was move to Manhattan with all my college friends. And I figured I would, you know, maybe do something kind of different there's because what I do isn't really out there you know I was like maybe I'll find a job doing tv development stuff but or else I'll just do something else and I'll just do that for a couple of years and then I'll do the make the move to LA and I knew that I, I wanted so badly to go to New York with my friends but I knew if I did it I would never leave mm-hmm. I was just I felt worried that I just wouldn't I don't know have the I guess, courage mm-hmm. and coming out of college, it's just, everything is so open, right? Yes. <laughs> so young, you know, you feel like, how do I not know what I'm supposed to be doing? But you're so young. You don't need to know. I'm still, you know, <laughs> we're all just floating on a rock. Like what are we? 
And, and may I say that if you have, if you are doing other things, there were people in my mailroom class, I, I mentioned I was one of the only people out of college. There were people in my mailroom class that were 30, over 30. There were people in my mailroom class that had law degrees, MBAs. I mean, full just career changes. And those people are killing it. And there's no, you know, it, of course, if you have an MBA and we're doing something and making a ton of money, it sucks to make, at the time it was $10 an hour in the mailroom. I think it's more now. It has I'm, to be. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm 100% sure it's more. I just don't know how much they pay now. But it, you know, it doesn't last forever and it's worth it. It's worth going for it. My last question that I ask all my guests is how do you define being a woman or womanhood? What a question. <laughs> I've gotten the gambit from all kinds of folks, so. I don't, I, there's definitely not one way to define being a woman and womanhood. But I think that for me, being a woman is, it's, it's we're special. You're part of a very special tribe and group of people who have overcome a lot and have been told no a lot, have been told that we are less than or weaker than or made to feel like victims and have just overcome and been like, fuck you, no way. We can do anything. And I think that it's, there's just a strength to it. There's a really cool sort of strength that you can tap into in the history of women. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm Jewish and people always talk about, um, what's it called? Trauma, uh, genetic trauma or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's been passed down for so Generational. long. Mm-hmm. What? Generational. Thank you. Generational trauma. I feel like women have also kind of experienced that. <laughs> I would say, though, I think that it's you're you're part of a group of people who've endured a bunch of bullshit. And when things are really, really horrible, I find it comforting to look back through history and read about or think about, watch, listen to whatever the worst bullshit that's constantly been endured. And just remember, you know. The women have been fighting against this forever for literally all of the time that we've existed. So like, we'll be, we'll be okay. Like we can do it. Right. You just kind of, for me, sometimes I just have to tap into that. And it's like why I listen to a lot of true crime because you just want to be prepared. You know, I, knew I, mean? I loved you, you Julie. <laughs> the way that women survived a bunch of crazy bullshit to remember that you can survive it too. I love that. You related to crime in there. We're part of a special group. I got true group. crime in there. I got generational trauma. You know. I'm here for it. <laughs> I guess it was just, listen, we just watched Prince of Egypt. So generational trauma on the mind. <laughs> Julie, this has been a delight, a treat, and a gem and a joy, um, which you are all of those things. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredible, iconic guest. Um, just love, I truly love talking with you. I love that your team, Jess, were kindred spirits um, because, duh, and true crime, also, duh. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. All the time. Um, do you have anything that you want to shout out, promote before we head out? Um, I guess I just have to shout out to Jennifer Kane Robinson for introducing us because love her. Um, but I mean, I just want to thank you for having me. I've never been on a podcast before. This was very weird and cool. (laughs) I have enjoyed it greatly. Um, this was definitely a lot of fun and, you know, I hope that something I've said will help or resonate with someone out there and, you know, maybe inspire them to become television development executives and 
That'd be fun. A life of glory. <laughs> um, I'm gonna plug Love Victor if I haven't talked about it enough. Um, and Dave. Uh, I will. Which both Love Victor and Dave coming out season two has wrapped shooting for both. And um, Love Victor has an air date that maybe you could insert in here afterwards because it is definitely, I believe, on the internet. Um, Dave, <laughs> sometime in June. <laughs> I think, yeah, I know, right? I think it's in June. Dave doesn't have an air date yet, but ideally targeting coming out this summer um, sometime. So definitely please watch both of those shows. Um, on Hulu and Dave is also on FX. Awesome. Um, thank you everybody so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to connect with the show, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at pretty face lady three. Go ahead and like us on Facebook at more than a pretty face. If you'd like to connect with me or the show, please email at pretty face women at MTA and talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.